Welcome to Radio TFS, episode number 54. Hi, this is Martin Woodward. And this is Greg Duncan. Greg, how's it going with you? Going good. Going good, man. Writing code. Gotta love writing code. Doing a ro- yeah. lots of writing code and, you know, getting my butt kicked. I was so behind the curve, uh, you know, the dev curve for the longest time. Uh, you know, I, C-sharp things. Are you doing C-sharp or VB at the minute? Uh, C-sharp. Yeah, definitely moved to, to C-sharp and... Uh, you know, WPF, writing desktop line of business applications, doing the whole MVVM thing. And, you know, I've talked about WPF forever and MVVM for, forever, but talking and doing, you know, are, are two different things. So, and, you know, th- that WPF learning curve, I, I love WPF, um, but there's just some things that you really have to just change how you think about it. You know, the, what was it? Uh, Tuesday, you know, the tree view just, you know, kicked my butt, you know, from, you know, from WinForms tree views and VB, you know, dot, dot classic tree views mindset and using those for forever to the WPF tree view. It's just, you know, apples and rocks. They're just not the same. Mm. But, uh, you know, being able to compose my tree view just the way I want it and, you know, not being locked into you know, what a vendor or what a control provides you and being able to compose it yourself. That's what I love about WPF beyond the data binding and MVVM support. You know. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Link's just crazy. And some of the, you know, the, the whole C-sharp language has just changed so much, you know, over the years it's... Amazing! It's um, it's it feels like a completely different language sometimes when I read you know code that's been written for say C sharp four or five compared with code that I understand written in C sharp one dot one Yeah, I'm lucky in that respect because that basically you know I'm really jumping on the C sharp wagon at you know four slash four or five, so right. I'm not having to unlearn a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It's uh, well, I mean, it's good that you get to do a lot of coding and hacking away. Yeah. Uh, I seem to be just mostly deleting emails in Outlook nowadays. Well, you know, that's the life of a <laughs> program manager for you. Anyway, the news. Sorry, <laughs> moving on. Uh, yeah, we've had. Yeah, we had a um, mentioned uh, last show. Obviously, we were going to do a service update on. Um, we're going to do it over the new year, so we decided to do it in the new year. So, um, Aaron Bork. York has a post up at tinyurl.com slash tfsupdateab. And if you go along, it tells you about the things we did. Um, first thing they mentioned isn't a particularly good thing, and that well, it is a good thing, but it also was annoying in a little way. Um, we, we changed the way that we handle basic authentication. Um, well, we changed the way we handled alternate credential authentication, and we made it be compatible with standard HTTP basic authentication. So, and that in the future will allow us to open up um, the auth rather than having to go through that, you know, the federated authentication jump where it pops up a dialogue and, you know, asks you for some credentials and things from live. Right. It, it allow, like, especially third parties and, you know, different people writing clients for TFS, it allow them to do um, basic auth over HTTPS if they want to as well. Uh, so... So that's um, that was good, and it was a change worthwhile making. And we actually did a change. Uh, the problem was, um, we wrote Team Explorer everywhere to work with the old form of basic auth. So because that was the only way the server talked, mm-hmm. um, the old form of authentication, and that was the way the server talked. And uh, so we um, wrote it to support the way the server talked, and 
you know, raise a red flag. Hey, this isn't standard HTTP basic auth. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, we'll fix that. And we were like, okay. So then they fixed it, and we were like, oh, yeah, well, we better fix our client now. And unfortunately, we'd written it in a way where it broke rather than actually degrading, you know, gracefully, uh. which is what how we should have written it. Never mind, you live and learn. And so we had to do a new release of TE, um, and then we also had to re-release the TFS SDK so that people could, you know, who write Java apps could talk to TFS using this authentication mechanism. It's kind of the point of doing it. And one of the main apps that works that way is actually um, Git TF because right. uh, it it's written in Java and uses the, the uh, TFS SDK for Java, which is freely redistributable. You know, anyone can write an application that does that. So this is just an open source project that some of the guys on my team do. And it uses the SDK, unsurprisingly, as they wrote the SDK. And, um, yeah, and so that broke. And we were trying to get the release out the pipes before the basic um, auth fix got switched on in production but a kind of bit of a delay bit of coming back after christmas you know a bit hungover from the new year and all that sort of stuff then we just missed it by a little bit and then it ended up slipping an entire sort of 24-hour period before we could actually get the the git tf bits up yeah but yeah that was a real um annoying thing so apologies to everybody there that was actually my fault and you know so at least you get to at least you get to send an email to radio tfs at gmail.com <laughs> If you want to shout at me, it was personally my fault that that happened. So, uh, yeah, humblest apologies. We won't do that again. So, um, yeah, um, good news is we actually shipped a version of GitTF before, you know, before because it was the start of a new year. So before a lot of people noticed, right. it was a version there that they could use. And we already had it in, we already had it written. We just had to get it through the release pipes, which, um, you know, takes longer than you would think <laughs> some days. So I got a totally sideline question on you. With, yeah. with the latest news and stuff that's been happening on Java, what's your feelings there? The vulnerabilities and zero days and the you know backlash that seems to be happening on Java. I don't use it much. How do you feel as a you know solid? You've got apps and stuff built on it. Yeah, I mean, I. I'm firmly in the Java camp. So these are my personal opinions, not the opinions of Microsoft, as this whole show is. <laughs> So, I it's it's been coming, you know. It's been because there's been more and more vulnerabilities reported in Java. I personally haven't had Java enabled in the browser for a long, long time, um, just because I didn't need it, you know. And I'd rather not have it there if I, don't, you know, try to re- reduce my own personal attack surface area. Right. And so, if I, if I don't need it there, then I don't switch it on. Um, I think. Java in the enterprise and Java in, you know, like back-end hosting services, one of the things that used to alarm us at TeamPrice and continues to alarm us is that people would always be complaining that they wanted to, like they wanted TeamPrice and, you know, Team Explorer everywhere to work on, you know, like ancient versions of Java. Java 1.4 was the version of Java we used to support and we still supported Java 1.4 back in Team Explorer everywhere uh, 2010, the initial release, and we moved it up to Java 5 with the service pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite frightening that because those versions of Java have been out a long time and not getting you know regular security updates. And you know, so and the reason is because a lot of production deployments have older versions. You know, the server runs older versions of Java, right. um, and so they like to run the version of Java and compile with the version of Java that they're deploying to, even though you totally don't need to. Um, and so what we were always recommending is people run the very latest version of Java. We were getting the very latest security updates um, in the desktop. 
and you know run Eclipse under that, but target older the version of Java that they're deploying against. So, um, and yeah, but people don't. People really run really old versions of Java. The update system's not as handy as like Windows Update and stuff, or, or like Chrome updates and things. So it's reasonably tricky to get updates of Java. And then when you do, it would um, like do things like try and trick you into sticking, you know. Asks, you know, <laughs> yeah. search. Yeah. It didn't help themselves there. And then this happens. So, um, yeah, and, you know, it's a, it's a real shame. I think that it will continue, like, all the browser manufacturers, you know, it looks like it's going to go kind of, if they're not careful, it'll kind you know, it looks like they're trying to get Java completely out of the browsers, which probably isn't a bad thing. It means the end of applets. Right. Um, it, for the web, I think there'll be plenty of applets in intranet mode still, but but for the web, I think applets are pretty much going to die a death. But then Flash was dying a death anyway, you know, and most browser, most non-HTML5 things are dying a death anyway, so that that was probably coming anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think the client, I think there's probably a longer future, but they need to uh, get ahead of the curve and probably have a similar reset to what Microsoft did, you know, around the... Um, XP Service Pack 2 time frame when they had the epiphany that, hey, we better get serious about the security or this is going to this is gonna hurt the bottom line. So, right. the def- uh, you know, I feel for all my, my friends over in Oracle and um, work on that team and things. So I just hope they, uh, yeah, hope they get through it and they get the security, you know, get on top of it, get in front of the security stuff and get things patched and um, get a, a reliable runtime for the... Um, the desktop right yeah and it, i mean what other alternatives are there if you need a cross-platform kind of i mean are we talking like mono stuff I, what other viable platforms are there that you could do if you had the need to rewrite get tfs and make it as cross-platform as it currently is how would you we, if we were to do that we would write it in uh c in in cross-platform you know in in c oh. <laughs> and then compile it and then make it be native and that's kind of what people are doing a lot now, you know, is writing cross-platform C code and then having language bindings on top of the cross-platform C libraries. Okay. Mm, wow. Which is, yeah, which is hard. <laughs> so, uh, and I, you know, got quite a bit of experience with that. It's, you know, it's hard work. We originally, when we were writing Team Pro, debated writing it like that um, to begin with, but then we decided that the primary market for the, the TFS cross-platform mm-hmm was actually in Eclipse, and so we might as well write it in Java because it gives us some, you know, then we don't have to do the interface. Right. And it was the right thing to do, and we had, you know, it definitely was the right thing to do at the time. But yeah, no, if we was doing it today, I might actually seriously consider doing it in cross-platform C and taking the hit. Uh, but yeah. But then the API probably wouldn't be a SOAP API, it would probably be a REST API as well, and, you know, so that bit would be a bit easier, and hmm, it'd be interesting. be a lot more... Um, We'd have a lot more security bugs to respond to than we do nowadays, you know, if we had run it. And a lot more uh, heap um, corruptions and memory leaks and things. But that's the way it goes, unfortunately. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, sorry for sidelining the whole show there. But all right. So say there's there's mono as well. But the the reason I don't say didn't didn't jump to mono is because um, the the TFS uh, OM, you know, that's .NET, that makes use of a bunch of um, Windows features, uh, like the way TFS works. It, 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 some of the client libraries actually utilize some of the things that are in Windows, you know, fully documented APIs, but like 
how the patch files work and a couple of other things as well. So it wouldn't be easy. The, the TFS SDK wouldn't be easily ported to Mono. Um, so anyway, we would probably be easier for us to take the Java one and port that over to Mono, to be honest. But uh, that's, there you go. Right. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah. So as well as uh, me, break, me personally getting to Git TF broke, um, we added a couple of features as well. It made it really easy to um, email work items from the backlog, which is a feature I have used about 10 times already this Ooh. week. <laughs> and what I've, quite, what I've been doing is pressing the button. It generates me a, you know, it, it gives me an email, which I email to myself, and then I like copy paste from it and then stick that in other that's such a crazy way of working, especially as Eclipse has the same feature. You and Teamix were everywhere. I could just control C and control V stuff, but no. It was... When you when when you want to send people, like I, I wanted to send my boss, like I was saying, we were having a discussion about priorities, and I was like, well, this is what the backlog's looking like now, and he came back with, yeah, actually, yeah, that's right, you know. So yeah, it, it's really good. It's a really handy feature. Nice. Uh, search for a change set. I mean, do you remember I told you when we when we so we we. Completely, you know, doing loads of work on the um, the TFS, um, the web access yes. uh, version control. Yep. And um, that so web VC is what what uh, I we call it internally, and what the word I was trying not to use because you know, it, well anyway, web VC for inside baseball, and we're we're doing a bunch of work on the web VC experiences, and um, we did we did a deployment of. The, la- the previous one, and we we put a bunch of really cool stuff, and it's really cool. Uh, but we realised that one of the feature takeaways we had was um, it, it was a bit harder to search for change sets, like by a specific ID. So we just fixed that. Now, when you go when you're browsing Source Control Explorer, the search box in the top corner, rather than searching if you type an ID in, rather than assuming you want a work item ID, it actually assumes now you want a change set ID. Mm. And and we'll do we're going to do some more work up in that search box eventually. You know we've got we've got plans for the search <laughs> Uber search box, but for right now it's clever enough. It seems so that's pretty good. And uh, again in uh, my team's area in the WebVC area, um, the made it really easy to just download a, um, a file. You know, just click a button and download the file. Just again, it's quite handy when you're just browsing around and you think, oh yeah, that's all I want. Copy it. Um, one thing I really quite like is uh, added a full screen mode. So, you know, this comes in most handy if you're looking at a big diff of a file in, say, side-by-side mode, mm-hmm. and you've got a nice like landscape monitor, and you, you maximize your browser, and you've got like all this screen real estate, but the, the code wasn't taking up much of it. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you press full screen, if you maximize the, the screen in the diff, you can now you know, have the code side by side and the way code's written, you can normally actually get a full page of code on both sides of the monitor sort of thing. So it's really cool. Quite like that. And then finally, we, um, the compare um, functionality. We did um, inline compare in the previous release and we extended that to actually show you images so um if you do if you're doing a diff on an image and it's like a ping or a jpeg or something then it it just shows you both versions of the image so you can visually compare what's different between the two ah. so, so and uh, that hopefully if you go along to tinyurl.com slash tfs update ab you'll see uh, the screenshot for the compare images feature which i can personally take credit for that's one of the most screenshots I've managed to sneak into a blog post while in my career at Microsoft so there we are um, so yeah and then if you want to read more about the, the, 
the why Git TF. I've probably given you a, a decent explanation why Git TF broke and why we fixed it and why we won't be doing it again because we're not changing the protocol again. If you go to httpconwackwacktinyurl.com slash tfsgit201 and you'll see a post that Brian Harry had to write because I didn't get this posted up in time, which I imagine made me very popular. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Well, uh, um, Buck Hodges also has an article about the new live credentials, and you can get that at tinyurl.com, live cred, C-R-E-D. And he talks about the, the changes on how to connect to the TF service without uh, prompting for the live ID credentials. And more importantly, though, he shows you a block of code you know, for the people who are extending TFS, um, how you can utilize this in your code from both, uh, you know, what version of Visual Studio you need, you know, you need update one, um, to the references, to a, a very short code block. What is this, like, you know, seven lines, eight lines? And, and so how you can do it, too. And you know me, I, I love the people who extend TFS, and I love TFS because it's so extensible. And so this is how everybody out there, all you guys out there writing uh, extensibility for a TFS can utilize this new capability. Cool. It's probably worth explaining this a bit more. So what we did was we, we've enabled a feature called alternate credentials, and it's over in your profile. You can go down and go to alternate credentials there. Um, and what we did is we've had this for a little while, but we've just sort of standardized it more, made it work with, you know, basic auth and things. But um, what it enables you to do is, again, provide a different username and password that you want to use when you're being communicated to by a client that can't pop up a browser. So, um, yeah, so that's what we've done. And, and there's an example of some great code there that, that does exactly that. Very good. Uh, I was just checking you there because you've gone very quiet. I was quite wrong. <laughs> no, I was actually reading the post like, oh, yeah. That's a... <laughs> um, now, another way of doing this is actually, so you can use your, that, that if you do that, then that allows you to log on as you. But it, you know, it allows you to log on as you with full rights to you. So there's things we can do to improve that in the future. But another way of allowing a um, service account, if you like, to log on as you is actually there's a, a feature in um, Azure Credential Services, which we use for our authentication TFS. And um, it's, the, uh, it's called service credentials. And what you can basically do is, is create the equivalent of like a network service account but for ACS, and that again is um, a username password pair that's that's for a service user, and so you can give it. It's so if you create one of those, then when the thing logs on, it's not logging on as you; it's logging on as this service account, and you can actually you know see what it's doing and kind of control its access a bit better and things. You know, rather than rather than the thing that's logging on having all the permissions of a particular user, you can get it to log on as a service. And this is exactly what the um, the build agent, you know, the build does. Right. When you, if you create a, a build, if you create a, install a build controller like locally and point it at TFS in the cloud, then it creates, behind the scenes when it's installing, it creates a service credential and then stores that away in the credman and uses that to, to store it. So um, Martin Hinchwood, um, there's no UI around service credentials at all. It's one of those things, areas that we, where we keep meaning to go write some UI around and make it, you know, expose it to people a bit more. And we just haven't got around to it yet. Uh, but our great community of rangers and MVPs 
is always jumps to the rescue and Martin Hinchwood actually wrote a little uh, WPF application that will query the web service and actually you know go help you generate a service credential and then show you details about credentials that belong to you. We talked about this, didn't we? Because his, his article is from uh, March. I could have swear we talked about this. We talk about it in one of the shows, but I wanted yeah. to bring it up again while we were talking about you know like alternate credentials. Because ah. this is an alternative if you want programmatic access to TFS is to use service credentials. So if you go to uh, http tinyurlcom view. And as I say, if you're writing an application that's like a robot that's going to do some stuff to TFS or listen to, you know, poll TFS for some things um, and do things on behalf of users, mm-hmm. then you want to write it as a user service credentials. If you write an application that's going to log on as a person but just do it and it can't pop up a browser, then you want to use your alternate credentials, which is the method that Book explained in that tinyrod.com slash live cred. Okay. Good. So as we're talking about updates for Team Foundation service, um, Aaron also blogged about an article or a change on July 9th. Um, I guess one of the biggest feature requests, and I, I can see this, uh, you know, I signed up well when it was in TFS preview and, you know, you create this name, and you think you're being clever, and then a little bit later you're all like, oh, no, I'm an idiot. I should have never called it this. Well, on the 9th, uh, you guys released, Microsoft released an update that allows you to change your uh, account URL. You know, you, so there is a feature, you can see this at tinyurl.com, account rename. And um, Aaron talks about it. It's a really short article, and it looks pretty simple. There is some things that you need to do. There's a big red block, you know, read this first, you know, don't be a dummy. Um, but it looks relatively painless, is that, you know, once you've obviously read through it and, you know, they're not doing any redirects. So if you change the URL, you need to go out and touch everything that's talking to that new uh, TF service uh, URL. But Yeah, it is, it is relatively painless. Like I say, you do need to make sure all your clients and all the people talking to that URL use the new URL. We don't, we don't grab the old one and the new one and redirect you on. But um, no, the, the reason why it was painless is actually under the hood. Most things cache by um, the there's a there's a GUID associated with each um, uh, collection. Uh, most most of the internal plumbing of TFS uses the GUID, not the URL, and so it was it kind of didn't, wasn't too hard to do. But uh, yeah, it, it's fairly good. And that was actually the number one support request by by not just a small margin. Actually, the number one support request used to be I've forgotten what my URL was. Um, and then number two was, I remembered what my URL was now. <laughs> so we fixed number one uh, by actually, you know, um, if you go to tfs.visualstudio.com, and cl- you can actually go see, you know, what your URL is now, what your account is. And then number two, we've just fixed now, and you can actually self-service rename. So finally, we, um, unfortunately, you can't rename team projects yet. We know you want to do that. We hear that feedback <laughs> many, many times, and uh, we want to fix that, but we haven't yet. Sorry. All right. Well, it's that time of the show. Um, the show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. And uh, episode 54 of Radio TFS is brought to you by SAS Made Easy, a leader in hosted TFS, dedicated virtual servers, and TFS ALM Consulting. You can reach them at www.sasmadeeasy.com. That's www.sasmadeeasy.com. M-A-D-E-E-A-S-Y dot com or via email at sales 
at, I'm double adding, you can contact them via email, sales at uh, sasmadeeasy.com. And uh, again, got to thank them for making this show possible. They actually host my blog as well, believe it or not, as well as the Radio TFS site. So, you know, um, and for my blog hosting, I actually, I've just realized, I owe them some, uh, I've had my first demand from them because my credit card number changed recently. Um, got a different card and I, I forgot to update it with them and I got a little, a very polite email from them. <laughs> us for a couple of months you should probably pay us so they're even like when you don't pay them believe it or not they're such nice guys over there so there we go cool hey um one thing that was really cool there's uh, a thing called gorse out there which is a great visualization tool for um source code repositories and it actually sort of does these cool little videos where it shows you a tree and shows you people working on the source code over time and, you know, working in different areas. And then you see it's just really cool. Um, now, uh, uh, a guy called Alexander Biyukov, Biyukov, I'm sorry, Alexander. Um, anyway, he did a great um, plug it. Gorse is this plugin, the, the 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 thing which allows you to do these visualizations, and the API for it. Well, it's just like a file format you need to feed it to actually generate these visualizations. Um, it's actually really trivial, simple API, and thankfully, it's one of the things I've been meaning to do, believe it or not. But Alexander, again, our fantastic team have stepped in and created a, um, a thing which will output the file ready to pass into Gorse, so that you can visualize your changes really in a really fancy video. Um, over at tinyurl.com slash visual TFS history. So if you if you haven't seen that before, then take it out. And if you've got a big um, you know a big repository with lots of history on, then give it a run. Make sure you run the query like on a weekend when nobody's in and they're going to complain at you for slowing down the server for querying here so much history. But uh, yeah, it's good. It's great to go see. Yeah, love visualizations like that. You know, especially it's this caught me out of surprise. Like, wow, that is just cool. I don't know if I would use it much, but that is still neat. Anyway, speaking of TFS, funny that given the show, Brian Harry did a post this week um, talking about uh, SQL Server 2012 and TFS 2010. And the long and the short of it is, don't. Uh, they will not. Uh, TFS 2010 is not supported, will not work on, you should not upgrade to SQL Server 2012. And he goes into some details into his post, which you can read at tinyurl.com, TFS SQL 2012. And um, I found that interesting. You know, it's a TFS 2010 has been out for a number of years now, and SQL Server 2012 just came out. But I was... This was actually a great learning experience. It was a great, uh, um, you know, seeing this real-world app. You know, you think that these SQL upgrades, I always in the back of my head was looking at these SQL upgrades. Oh, it's, it's just a drop-in. You know, it's just, you know, usually in the last few versions of it, they've been easy to upgrade the back ends without worrying about the front ends, without worrying about your applications. Well, this is a you know, splash of cold water. It's like, you know what? It's not always that easy. It's not always something that you want to do. Um, you know, he, he, the team kind of approached it like I was. Like, oh, we'll just drop it in. You know, it should be easy, right? Just a real quick, you know, test run and, and, and we'll be good. Um, well, it didn't really work that way. 
And he goes into this article. This post is really only three paragraphs long, um, but there were, you know, as they start testing it, they talk about, oh, well, there, we need to tweak this, and we need to tweak the installer. And, and you, you know, when you upgrade to SQL 2012, you're usually upgrading for a specific reason, like taking advantage of one of the new capabilities. Whereas trying to make that work with this old version of TFS is no joy. It's just not going to be, you know, a happy thing to do. Like the always on features of uh, SQL Server 2012. And it would take a whole bunch of work to make this old version of the product work with this new version of the SQL Server. So the, the team made the decision. We're not going to do it. You know, it's a hard decision to make, but you know, they, we've got new TFS 2012. That works great on, I mean, it's built for on SQL Server 2012. Um, and that is, you know, the, the suggestion that, that they're making. You know, it's kind of the hard right or the easy wrong. And, you know, the hard right is like, look, you know, limited resources. What do you guys want? Do you want the updates? Do you want the new versions? Or do you want us to spend all this other time working on these old things? And, you know, uh, from my seat, I, I, I was kind of like, when I first read that, I was like, uh, I don't know, a little grumpy. I was like, oh, that kind of stinks. But then you sit back and you yeah, think beyond the emotional impact. It's like, well, how many people are really going to do that anyway? And why, you know, would I really want to upgrade my TFS server? Now, you know, the circumstances I could see that happening is when your TFS is maybe shared, your TFS uh, uh, databases are on a shared SQL server and you want to, you know, the other databases, they want to upgrade for that. Uh, but even then, it's not that hard to upgrade from TFS 2010 to 2012 and, you know, so maybe that's your justification, and that's how I would use it. It's like, okay, this is how I'm going to justify the business case to finally get off our butt and upgrade to 2012 because we want to upgrade our SQL Server to 2012, so we're going to upgrade TFS, and then we'll be all happy campers. Yeah, I think one of the problems is that if you're a regular consumer of SQL, then you should you should just be able to upgrade. It's not like a, there's not like a compatibility break there, you know, at, at general consuming SQL level. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of our problem was is that we're not just a consumer of SQL. We actually install SQL and, you know, do a bunch of things like we embed the SQL installer with the TFS installer so that if you, if you install in TFS Express, it brings along SQL Express and things like that. And there was a certain level there that was a bit like, oh, so what do we do here for, you know, how, how do, what, what do we do here for installation and things? And then, um, so that was a big tricky. And then, like I say, this always on reaction was surprisingly a lot more than we thought. Um, and it was it was a it was a very uh, painful and heated discussion, um, but like I say, yeah, priorities and took the we took the call that um, you know we'd rather focus resources on um, getting the next version to be really cool um, and encouraging you know uh, rather than making the the well what what to us is the la- is the last but one version because <laughs> you know TFS twenty twelve is the last version. TFS 2012 RTM, anyway, it was the last version. So rather than getting TFS 2010 uh, working against the very latest sequel, um, yeah, hopefully people would be... The upgrade to TFS 2012 should be very painless. Right. Um, and you should be able to use all your old clients to talk to it. It should just work. So upgrade to TFS 2012, and then you can upgrade to SQL 2012. And, uh, yeah, so sorry about that. But as I say, that's the... The way 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 it happened, unfortunately. So, um, and we didn't do it lightly. Again, you know, we try our best, and we we did we did try and make it work. Unfortunately. So, okay. On uh, on lighter news, 
Um, Brian Keller, um, before he was jetting off, actually on holiday, actually uh, posted about the new update to the OData service, which is fantastic. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash tfsodata1, and speaking of you know trying to make things more interoperable and make other clients be able to talk to TFS, this is a great example of of doing that and putting a nice you know restful OData service in front of the Team Foundation server uh, API. Um, so if you want to take a look at that, it's um, really cool, and, and I encourage you to go along that post. And you can write then very simple applications or applications in a you know different environments that can actually talk to TFS without having to have the full TFS object model on the client. And, you know, one of the other things that's neat about this that I really liked about it is in his blog post, he talked about a Windows 8 app that consumes the TFS um, OData API. Mm. And um, as a follow-up, uh, Nisha Singh. Singh. Mm-hmm. Uh, went into even more detail on it, which you can get at tinyurl.com, TFS, OData2, the number two. Uh, and this post goes into much more details about integrating the search with the OData surface for Team Foundation Server in that Windows Store application. And, and, you know, this is one of those cool kind of posts that it does, like, a whole bunch of things. You know, it talks about the search contracts that are available in Windows Store applications and how to use that and how you would use that in a real-world, you know, quote-unquote application. And then how you would integrate that search contract with an OData you know, and OData, you know, a lot of people are providing OData, you know, like Netflix, and, and, you know, there's a bunch of uh, endpoints around. And then how do you talk to the TFS on OData from the WinStore application? So it's like a, you know, a whole bunch of things for one kind of post. And I just love uh, the idea behind OData. I, I, I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, uh, it looks like it's been really ra- rather quiet on the front. And I think it's just one of those because it's becoming very foundational. You know, it's just there and it's just work. Maybe it's not sexy, but it's just getting the job done. Yeah, it's cool. And like I say, that post was just fantastic. I'm doing some work next week with, I've got a student come in. Uh, I'm actually going to have to go, you know, to like a proper office (laughs) and pretend I've got, pretend I've got a real job uh, and because there's a student coming in to figure out what it's like to work and I was like oh let's pretend I have a real job so. <laughs> uh, he, he's coming in and I'm looking forward to that actually and one of the things you're going to do is build a Windows Store application and this was a really good worked example of a store app you know it's a lot more than a hello world type thing actually showing you the different APIs and things and, and you know does something that I care about at the end of the day as well so yeah thanks to Nisha Singh for posting that it's a really great post so um, we're probably uh, getting to the end of the show. Yeah, wow, yeah, we're, we're over time of show here, Greg. So uh, one of the things I wanted to do before we wrap up was um, I'm going to be over in Redmond um, in a couple weeks' time, well, next week by the time you hear the show, um, at the uh, ALM Summit. If you haven't been to the ALM Summit before, if you're interested in this podcast, you'd be very interested in the ALM Summit. It's uh, the best conference for people like us to go to all year. Um, and it's yeah some really great content and the best thing is it's not completely I mean obviously it's on the Microsoft campus so there is a bunch of um, you know content there about uh, Visual Studio and Visual Studio ALM tools but it's a really good melting pot of different people from the ALM space you've got people like Mick Kirsten there and you know some of the analysts there and things and really good you know have a good open conversation about um, 
ALM in general and, you know, improving your business in general and improving the way that developers work and things. It's really, it's a really good summit. So it's the third one. If you go to uh, www.alm-summit.com to find out more, and that begins January 29th. I believe there are a few tickets still available, so um, I think, maybe not by the time you hear this, but hopefully there might be. So if you want to come along, then great. I'll be there. I'll be speaking, uh, as will the legendary Byron Harry and some other legendary people who we've got posts of here today. Um, And it should be good. Hopefully... If you don't get along in person, then um, last year all the content was actually ended up getting posted up to Channel Nine. I know they're recording the sessions this time, so I'm 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 hopeful that the the sessions will be up on Channel Nine as well. So if they are, um, the next show we record should be out at the ALM Summit. So we'll have a recap of some of the news there and some you know talk about some of the good sessions, and hopefully we'll be able to point you to some links of some good sessions as well if you didn't make it out in person. But I'd love it if you did. If you do come to my session, then please let me know you're a listener of Radio TFS. Anything else, Greg, or should we wrap up? No, I think that's it. So we'll do. So next show will be a live from, well, semi-live, recorded yeah. live from the ALM Summit. That's great. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see. I'll be. It might be noisy in the background, but um, and I'll be recording all from my tiny little laptop. So <laughs> we've done one of those before, and it kind of worked. So we'll see how that goes. Great. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time, and we'll speak to you. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to do that yet, am I? I'm supposed to do the wrap-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, never mind. I'll, I'll get better. Mickey was... I miss Mickey. Me, you know, Mickey, he was so good at doing it last week. It made me really embarrassed. Right, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, if you'd like to give us some feedback, and we've had some excellent questions and feedback. I haven't read some, we haven't read it out this week because uh, some of the questions actually, you know, ended up getting forwarded into the team and, you know, or suggestions how we change the layout of the show and things. It's been really good. So, yeah, keep that feedback coming on radiotfs at gmail.com or don't forget the voicemail, which is 425 233 That's 425 233 Okay, as I said, thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time on Radio TFS. Radio TFS.